Hi, 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 hi. Yes, a very nice, annoying intro. This is Brittany. Yes, the host of Crime Ghoul, and welcome back to another episode. So today's episode is gruesome. It is horrible. It will leave you pretty upset and mad, angry, furious, enraged, all of these horrible emotions that you may not want to feel. So it is some intense emotion, okay? Like if you're not feeling intensity, if you're feeling anxious, stressed in any way, this is probably an episode you should set out because like I said, it's brutal. It's brutal, people. But thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Crime Ghoul, where I talk to you about all things true crime. If you're a new listener, welcome. Hello. Um, I hope you don't find me annoying. And if you do, just turn this episode off, honey. You don't need to listen. But I hope you guys have had a great week. Of course, you know, I've been following the Gabby Petito case very closely. I just want to say I am so, so horribly saddened to hear the news. Um, last night, I did not sleep. I was up just listening to all of the updates. Yes, I'm recording this podcast a few hours before it's actually supposed to be um, put out on a Tuesday. But obviously, I'm just like really behind on everything because I've been paying so much attention to the Gabby Petito case. And they have found her body. Of course, they're waiting for an autopsy to scientifically um, 100% identify her body. But they're, they know. They know it's her. We don't know how they know it's her. I'm sure there's identifying factors that we will hear about soon. But I just want to say I just am putting out all the condolences and prayers that I possibly can to that family. Because, geez, like, I'm sure... We all know, you know, part of the true crime community, you know what's going on, you've heard all about it, and I'm sure I don't need to reiterate all of it. But, of course, I will do an update on the case when we get some more information. Of course, Brian Landry, Landry, whatever the hell his name is, not that I really care to even say his name, but um, he's on the run. He's on the run, people, and I freaking hope they find his ass and do everything they need to do, but I just wanted to mention her. I couldn't do today's episode without mentioning her. So we will definitely see that case unfold soon, I'm sure. But yeah, so I'm a little um, out of emotion for today's episode. And um, I think it's because the brutality of this episode combined with how heavily I've been following Gabby's case, missing persons case, and now what I'm sure is a homicide case. I am just kind of like, like I've got nothing left in me. But nonetheless, I'm going to give you this case because this case is very important. Just like Gabby, every case I do has importance. Every victim is extremely important and all of their stories have valuable, valuable lessons to learn, which is why I share them and I share them for the memory of that person to remember who the person was before they succumbed to such horrible, horrible situations. So we're going to give it a go. I am going to be talking to you about a beautiful 12-year-old girl named Shonda Scherer. So you may have heard of this case. I'm not surprised if you have because of the brutality of it and the pure shock of it all. But let's get to it. Tonight, my beverage of choice is a cherry vanilla Coke. So no, I'm not sponsored and I should be. So Coca-Cola, if you want to sponsor me, love you. Love you. I know I shouldn't. You're rotting away my insides. But let me know. Let me know what your drink of choice is while you're listening to my podcast. I would love to know. I'm always open for new beverage suggestions, but without further ado, let's get to it. Pull up a chair. Maybe you're cozy in your office chair. Just kidding. It's probably really uncomfortable. Or maybe you're driving to work or wherever the heck it is that you are going. But obviously I'm here to accompany you. So um, I hope you're ready to hear this episode, whether you're cozy or not cozy, whatever. I'm here for you, baby. So let's get started. Go brew yourself a cup of coffee, pour yourself a glass of wine, or perhaps take a shot of whiskey because as always, my friends, these stories are absolutely not for the faint of heart. And again, as always, I thank you so much for listening. I love you so much.
Okay, so we're taking it back to 1991. That's right, my 90s kids. Shout out to you 90s kids because um, I'm one of them. I'm one of you. That's right. So we're in 91 and our story is centered around 12-year-old Shonda Scherer. She is so cute, so pretty, big curly hair, brown eyes, very, she just looks warm and welcoming, okay? She kind of resembles young Demi Lovato, like I'm talking Camp Rock era, if you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, that's totally okay. I will share a picture of Shonda all over my Crime Ghoul social medias, which is Crime Ghoul underscore at on Instagram, Crime Ghoul on Facebook, and just Crime Ghoul on Twitter. So you could go take a look at Shonda and the many key players and other photos that are involved with today's episode. But nonetheless, Shonda was adorable, beautiful, and she looked older than 12 years old. Some people would think she was 15, and sometimes she tried to pass as 15 because, you know, the younger kids, they want to seem older, you know? Every, every like, middle schooler wanted to hang out with high schoolers, at least in my middle school, that's how it went. And I know it went like that in yours, too. So she did everything she could to kind of seem older, and people believed it. But nonetheless, we're in New Albany, Indiana, and at this point, Shonda had moved twice. Basically, her mom was divorced twice, or she divorced the man, I should say, um, So, yeah, she was born to her mom, Jacqueline, and her father, Stephen. So they divorced and they moved on to New Albany, Indiana. And I'm not really going to talk too much about the past locations. I mean, they matter, but it's really I don't want to go out of focus of the most important parts of this story. So, yeah, we're in New Indiana. Oh, my God. New Albany, Indiana. I mean, So yeah, the school is Hazelwood Middle School, and here Shonda is a new student. So of course, what happens to most new students? Everybody wants to know them. Everyone wants to be their friend, and Shonda was looking for that. She was looking for friendship, just like every other 12-year-old is. Come on, come on, people. Um, Keep up. I'm kidding. You already knew that because you guys are all so smart, Um, but Shonda was on the cheerleading, volleyball, and softball teams back in her old school. So she was well acquainted with, you know, sportsmanship and athleticism, and she loved being part of a team. She's a great friend, very loyal. People would talk about her and tell stories of her that were just great. And even in her new school, she really proved to be an amazing friend. One of the first girls she became acquainted with was going through a really tough breakup. And Shonda saw that this girl was struggling, got to know her, and found that the girl was having, you know, like quarrels with her boyfriend. So 12-year-olds, you know, it's so silly, like relationships at that age. But at the same time, people, very impactful, very, very impactful years. And you'll hear more about, like, why later. But basically, this girl wanted to break up with her boyfriend, didn't really know how to do it. So Shonda's like, I'll help you break up with your boyfriend. And she's like, are you serious? Like, really? Okay. So long story short, um, Shonda has the necklace that the girl um, got from her boyfriend. Shonda walks over the necklace to the boy and, you know, just kind (laughs) of hands it to him. And he's just like, are you serious? Like, this this is how she's breaking up with me type thing. And um, yeah. That, that's kind of how the breakup goes. And he's pretty pissed off. So guess what? Little does little Shonda know that this boy has a big cousin, older cousin, Amanda. And she's in the high school, okay? So she's um she's known around these parts and she's not one to mess with. She will kick your ass, basically. So guess what? He rats on Shonda to older cousin because when he can't take a breakup And Amanda wants to know who this girl thinks she is. Who are you? Like, excuse me. They end up getting into a fight at school and Amanda was held back. So that's why she's actually not in the high school. I know I said she's in the high school, but now that I'm thinking about that, that was wrong. I'm just thinking of her age. She was 15 years old. She should have been in high school. She was not. So I apologize for that. Amanda was not in high school. She was going to the same middle school. Yeah. Sorry for the confusion. So she wants to see this Shonda and she does. They end up getting into a fight and um, yeah, Amanda beats her up pretty, pretty good. And of course, Shonda goes home. Her mom, Jackie's like, what? Like, what the hell happened to you? Like, what the hell? It's like the first week of school. How did you like get beat up already? Like, you never get beat up. This is not this is not what happens. People want to be your friend. And, you know, Shonda's like a good sport about it. She's really like, ugh. 
mom, it's a long story, tells her mom, kind of clues her in. And needless to say, Shonda and Amanda both got detention. So they were both going to spend some time in detention together, which they did. It was like after school detention. They both did the right thing. They both showed up, whatever. Now, Amanda, like I said, she's 15 years old, left back, whatever. She is actually a lesbian. She's kind of very confident in her, in her sexuality, actually, at this point, except with her parents. She doesn't tell her parents that she's a lesbian, but she dresses like a boy. I'm pretty I'm sure they had like a good idea. But everybody in school kind of makes fun of her because even though it's like 90s grunge time, like people are also like, why are you dressing like a boy? Blah, 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 blah. Now, now you could dress like a boy and, it, and it's pretty edgy. No one cares. I don't give a shit. You want to dress like a boy? That's fine. I do. Sometimes I look like a boy. I don't really care. If I'm comfortable, that's how I'm dressing. You know what I'm saying? But back then in the 90s, eh, wasn't so, it wasn't always that easy. So yeah, Amanda liked girls, which is perfectly fine. And as she's sitting in detention with um, Shonda, they start passing notes. Turns out they actually enjoy each other's company and they become friends. Like, it's kind of funny. So they become friends and Amanda's like, you know what? She's kind of cute. Like, oh my God. But Amanda is in a relationship with Melinda Loveless. Now, I'm pretty sure Melinda was like 16 or 17 years old at the time. I'm not really sure. I didn't really find this somewhere. So somebody could feel free to clue me in or just comment on one of my posts. That's fine. But um, she actually was in Hazelwood Middle School as well. So I'm not sure. Was Hazelwood Middle School connected to a high school or was she left back too? Because I'm not sure. I can't really find a confirmation for that. But needless to say, Melinda and Amanda were dating. They both liked girls. And Melinda, Melinda was like very infatuated with Amanda. Amanda was infatuated with her. They were really the only two like lesbians in the school. And they were out and public about their relationship and everything. But nothing um nothing is ever just that simple right like it just can't be because people are complicated human beings are the most complicated creatures like ever but um they fought a lot I think a lot of their relationship had to do with both of them having attachment issues and kind of clinging onto the relationship um they were both very comfortable with each other they were very accepting of each other so you know this was this was a tight relationship and you've got Uh, Melinda, who's like 16 years old, Amanda's 15, and then you've got little Shonda, who is only 12 years old, okay? So, of course, I'm sure you can already guess that Shonda and Amanda's friendship is going to become very problematic, of course, because girls are catty. Let's get right to it. We already know. They are. They can be. I've witnessed it. I'm sure all you females listening have witnessed it. And even you fellas, I'm sure you've witnessed it. We know that sometimes... Jealousy really comes into play. And of course, it could listen, boys, you're not you're not free from jealousy and drama. OK, so don't don't act above it. But you know what I'm saying? The jealousy was going to start kicking in, especially because Amanda starts falling for Shonda. I mean, how could you not? She's beautiful. She's kind. She's funny. She's pretty. Everything. And it actually turns out that Shonda, um, even at 12 years old. Now, there's a lot of what I'm about to tell you. Um, is a little, uh, what's the word? Controversial, I guess you could say. At 12 years old, she likes boys, but when Amanda takes an interest in her, she starts to take an interest in Amanda. So Amanda's really paying her a lot of attention, you know, like, you're pretty, do you like me? Do you like me like I like you? And um, all of this stuff. And I'm not really sure if Shonda was aware that Melinda and Amanda were dating. I don't think she was. But Amanda really started inserting her life into Shonda's life. And she was really trying to be her friend and then trying to be more than her friend. She would um, actually end up showing up to Shonda's house one day when her mom wasn't home, when both her parents weren't home. And Shonda wasn't allowed to have people at her house when nobody was home. And every time, um, well, not every time, but the one time they were sitting out on the porch and all of a sudden Shonda's mom pulls up in the driveway and... Amanda bolts and she hides like in the bushes. She didn't really want to meet mom and I'm sure it's because she was older and she probably had an idea that what she was doing was wrong because many people would speculate that maybe Amanda was kind of grooming Shonda 
Um, you know, young girls are very impressionable, especially at 12 years old. Your hormones are freaking crazy. You're hitting puberty. You don't know what you want. You're 12 years old. You're still a child, but you're a preteen at the same time. So who knows? But um, Amanda was moving her way in and she really was just trying to get Shonda's attention. And at the same time, it was making Melinda hella jealous because she was like, what's with this? You're all of a sudden friends with this girl, Shonda. You beat her up. How are you friends? And then Shonda's mom was the same way. Like, how are you friends with the girl that beat you up? And she was like, she's actually kind of cool. Like, whatever. Her mom didn't like it, though. Her mom got a really bad feeling and was just like, I don't think you should be friends with her. She sounds kind of like not a nice person. But Shonda was assuring her, like, Mom, come on. Like, I'm giving her the benefit of the doubt. You always tell me to give people the benefit of the doubt. And she wasn't wrong. So, yeah, that's that. And things start escalating. Amanda asks her to sleep over. She ends up sleeping over. And... The details of like what happens next is we don't really know. The only two people who know would be Shonda and Amanda. And apparently some sexual relations happened. And over the course of the next few days, there were some notes exchanged and between the two because this was way before text messaging. Um, You didn't have cell phones like that or anything. You were passing notes the old school way, the best way. So, you know, Amanda's like, oh, my God, I had such a great time. I hope you had a great time. Did you? Whatever. Like, you know, talking about their sexual relations. And um, Shonda was really confused, but she had a good time. But I'm sure she was just like questioning a lot. And apparently she was crying about it. And Amanda was telling her, you know, don't cry about it. It's fine. We had such a great time. Like, can we do it again? Um, And then she was saying a lot of things that were very inappropriate, like, um, uh like can we fuck again stuff like that I don't even I don't even want to say it I feel dirty but um you get what I'm saying it was very sexually explicit it was getting a little like intense and obviously a 12 year old's mind and a 15 year year old's mind it's it's very different okay um uh, like even the experience level is clearly different like Amanda was dating Melinda clearly they were sexually active and then you had little Shonda, who was not sexually active, well, I don't know. It's hard to say because then we'd find out that apparently she was sexually active with older boys, but we have no confirmation of this. So it's really hard to say. It could have been rumor. So who really knows? But regardless, she was a 12-year-old girl and Amanda was 15 years old. She probably should have backed off. And I know, I know, I've heard of larger age gaps, but guys, this is a 15-year-old. It's not like it's a 15-year-old and an 18-year-old, even though that's really not okay in most states. But you you get what I'm saying. I know you do. So I hope you're following me with this. So obviously, this is problematic. Melinda's like, you need to stop. Like, I want to see those notes. She grabs the notes away from Amanda at some point. And of course, to her, to her horror, she finds out that the girl she loves or thinks she loves at 16 slash 17 years old is flirting with another girl and clearly something has happened between the two so she tells her you cut this shit out or else and then of course she says she does but really the relationship continues like it's a friendship but this is not what Melinda wants Melinda doesn't want them to have any contact and um little did anyone know how short Melinda's fuse really was because Melinda had been through some shit okay she had she had issues. She had really bad attachment issues and trust issues and all for good reason. Not that this is ever an excuse, but uh, the psychology behind what people do is very important and what, what culminates into people's actions and behaviors. And needless to say, uh, Amanda Loveless had a horrible childhood. Horrible, horrible, horrible is not even the word. She had siblings, She had a father who was a Vietnam vet, came back a war hero, Um, should have been beloved, but yeah, he was just a horrible, horrible human being. He treated his wife like shit, treated his kids like shit, and obviously this is just the perfect recipe for disaster. And I'll give you a quick rundown about him. He's a nasty, nasty piece of garbage, but to give you an idea of what this girl went through... Not only did she have to watch her mother get physically abused um, and her siblings get physically abused, but they were all sexually abused as well. Not to mention her father would 
make his wife have sex with other men while he watched. He was one of those freaking weirdos. The mother was traumatized by this, but her husband was really abusive and used the kids to threaten her a lot. Like, you know, if you don't do this, I'm gonna I'm gonna shoot the kids. He had a gun collection. He would always use them as collateral. And she abided by him because she was scared shitless. Like, it's just horrible, horrible, horrible abuse. And he started abusing the kids more and more. He was sexually molesting them. He was sleeping in bed with them sometimes. And I'm so sorry. Like, trigger, trigger warning. I should have given that. I'm sorry. I'm going to make sure I write this when I post this episode because trigger warning. So he sexually molested his children. They had to watch him rape his wife, their mother, in front of them. He would steal the girl's underpants, like the, his daughter's. He'd wear the the mom's underwear, the children's underwear. He would masturbate in their drawers, like their underwear drawers. Like, it, it just absolutely disgusting. Like, you get the picture. He's just a piece of trash, disgusting human being. And the torture went on for a very long time in this family until finally mom cracked because um, one of... One of the children's friends were over and he was watching them and poking them while they were taking a shower, made them get in the shower together and what have you. And she finally left the home, got out of there. That was enough. So that was the straw that broke the camel's back. And there you have it. That was a little bit about Amanda Lovelace's childhood. And that's not even the extent of it. I could go on for quite a while. I could freaking make a whole episode about this girl's childhood and her family and it's just disturbing to say the least so when I tell you she clung to Amanda and loved her I'm not I'm not kidding like this is this is the most love she ever knew in her life probably so she was very attached to Amanda and I'm sure that when she found out Amanda was talking to this little 12 year old girl it was catastrophic for her like it rocked her whole entire world So, you know, they're still dating. Clearly, Amanda was interested in exploring other avenues with other girls. Of course, that being Shonda. She really liked Shonda. So she listened to Melinda, wasn't really having a sexual relationship with um, Shonda anymore until things started escalating again. And there was a school dance coming up and Amanda really wanted to go. But Melinda hated school dances. She wasn't going to go. So Amanda took this as an opportunity to take Shonda. So she went to the dance and Melinda found out that they went to the dance together. Melinda had been drinking some wine coolers with an, with another friend and she made that friend drive her all the way to the school dance. They waited. That friend was on drugs and it was just crazy, okay? Like this is this is a very bad area, I guess. New Albany, Indiana. I don't know if there's any of you listeners from Indiana and you want to chime in about that. Definitely let me know. But the kids in this town had some really, really bad ghosts in their past and skeletons in their closets. So they've been through some shit. So the dance ends, the girls come out and who's there? None other but Melinda Loveless running at Amanda smacking her flipping out they're having a whole huge fight and she's pissed Shonda's probably like oh shit this is not good and Melinda's very very jealous at this point and that is it she's had enough of Shonda she wants this new girl out of here she's sick of hearing her name she's sick of hearing all the kids at school talk about how beautiful Shonda is how she looks older than she is she's just jealous purely jealous and it's crazy because Melinda was beautiful too she also had beautiful brown curly hair she was a gorgeous girl I'm not gonna lie so she the poor thing like I don't even want to say poor thing like I'm not trying to sympathize with her but at this point before anything happens like I can't help but feel bad for her because I knew what she went through and now the one person she's attached to is paying attention to another girl And this is probably the only person she really ever loved in her life. And she never got the acceptance from her father. So she was looking for approval everywhere, looking for a relationship and a connection. And here she found it. So this was just not good. It was getting worse and worse. And this is where I really lose touch with Amanda Loveless. And going further in the story, I have to say, you got to detach from everything. Because like I said, this may be a reason as to why people do bad things like abuse severe abuse and trauma you know not everybody 
not everybody who goes through abuse and trauma, who has like mental illness, ends up becoming a monster, a murderer. But genes and all these other variables definitely definitely play into our decision making. And that's what happens with Amanda and some other people that I will introduce you to very soon. So at this point, Melinda's like, I want Shonda dead. She writes that on a note to Amanda. I want Shonda dead. Love, Melinda. Okay, that's weird. And Amanda's not taking this seriously. She's a 15-year-old girl or 16. She's a 16-year-old girl. No, 15. She's 15. Oh my God, I'm losing my mind. She's 15 years old. She's not taking this seriously. She's like, okay, Melinda, you're dramatic, like whatever. And plus, Amanda was going through her own troubles, discovering who she was and her sexuality, all this other stuff. She's on the basketball team. I'm sure she's just thinking of other things, whatever. She definitely has her own problems, though. Like, she's always fighting people. Um, People are always, like, calling her a boy. She's got her own struggles. So, I don't even know. I don't think she was really that concerned with Melinda at this point. She was very infatuated by Shonda and whatever. But she was still trying to keep Amanda, or, um, yeah, Amanda around. And she definitely was loving the attention she was getting from both girls. So whatever. Um, Shonda's mom finds out what's going on. She finds notes that are really sexually explicit and she's had enough. She's like, no, this is not good guess what? Shonda ends up moving schools again and she goes to a Catholic school where hopefully Amanda is in the past. Like she's a thing of the past. Let's move on. Um, And at this point, Shonda was really sad and depressed and definitely a lot of it had to um, do with everything that was going on. She was stuck in a love triangle with these girls and she was a 12 year old girl for God's sake. And she didn't know what her sexuality was. She was interested in boys and she's got this going on whatever. It was time for her to move schools. And I think that was a good idea by, um, on mom's part. It was time to move. And there she got on the basketball team and Shonda, the Shonda that we knew to be really happy, go lucky, spunky, positive. She was coming back from all this craziness. Her like life was rebalancing. She actually got a boyfriend as well. Like New Albany, like the school over there, Hazelwood, it was a thing of the past for a little while anyway. So, of course, Melinda is still harping on all of this. She is letting it fester inside of her, the jealousy inside of her. And yeah, so apparently Amanda and not Amanda, Melinda and Shonda start talking again and they're reconnecting and mom doesn't really know about this, but they're talking again, I guess, on the phone. However, um, And Melinda knows about this and she doesn't like it. So that's when she contacts her friend named Lori. Lori Tackett was a 16-year-old dropout from her school. She stopped going to school. She had a really bad upbringing as well. Her mom was an intense Christian. Her dad was a factory worker who had two felony convictions under his belt. Clearly, this was not going to be a very balanced home life either. And... Her mom was very big into her religious faith to the extent that she wouldn't let Lori even wear a pair of jeans. Like, that was completely against what she believed in. She made Lori wear these, like, church skirts to school. But, you know, her mom didn't know for a while that Lori was going to school and changing into jeans. And obviously, her mom ended up finding out. And this, like, turned into a huge fight, so much so that her mom actually tried strangling her. Like, oh, Carrie White, are we getting Carrie vibes? You know, Stephen King's Carrie and... Scary Carrie's crazy mom. Yeah, that's what I'm feeling. So Lori actually dropped out of school. She was couch surfing at her friends. She was just kind of drifting through life, honestly. And she was friends with Melinda. So Melinda kind of confided in Lori and was like, yo, there's this girl. She's a problem. Like, whatever. Explain the whole situation. And Lori was just like, why don't we scare the shit out of her? And thus, this is where a really horrible plan is concocted. And Melinda wants to scare the shit out of Shonda in hopes that Shonda will stop talking to Amanda, like, completely. So, you know, this escalates a little bit. Lori's like, yeah, I'll drive. So she's like, I'm going to drive. I've got two friends. We should just, like, beat her up and really give her a good scare. But I think Melinda definitely wanted to hurt Shonda. 
She wanted to get rid of her. So she wasn't even an option for Amanda. And I don't think Lori realized this at first. So Lori was like, all right, let's meet up um, this day and we'll go take care of business. So Lori had two other friends, um, Hope and um, Tony Lawrence. So Tony was 15. Hope was 15. Lori is 17. I keep seeing 16 and 17. Well, I kept seeing like while I was researching this. So we're going to go with 17 since she is able to drive a car. So I think at that time, like she was able to drive and um, she was driving a car. She had her friend Hope and Tony with her and they drove to Melinda's house. So at Melinda's house, they were kind of sharing stories. This was the first time Melinda had ever met Hope or Tony. They did not know her from a hole in the wall. They were just coming together because they shared Lori as a friend. Now, neither none of them knew Shonda. I mean, Hope met her one time. And other than that, Melinda was the only person who really knew of Shonda. Now, Melinda has to tell them the whole story of like what's going on because obviously Lori's up to speed. So she kind of catches them up, talks about how she she tried becoming friends with Amanda and Shonda, like sharing a relationship, like a friendship. But that wasn't working and that Shonda was stealing her girlfriend, which this is not the case. Shonda was trying to move on. Amanda kept interjecting herself into Shonda's life when she moved away. Shonda had already had a boyfriend. She was on a basketball team. Like, she was just trying to live her life, okay? But Amanda kept interjecting herself into her life. And this was pissing off Melinda. So, whatever. This is just crazy shit. So, they were talking and they all agreed, let's go, let's go scare the shit out of her. So, they get in Lori's car and they carry out their plan and they show up to Shonda's home on January 10th of 1992. And obviously some time had gone by because when we started this story, it was 1991. But by the time Shonda was in a new school, it was the new year. Like we're talking, we're in January now. So yes, the night is January 10th, 1992. So now the plan is go like Hope and Tony are going to go up to the door and they're going to ask for Shonda. So it is a weekend and Shonda stays with her father for the weekend. So she is at his house when they hear a knock on the door. Now, there's a lot of like confusing information because I've read that Shonda was with a boy, like she had a boyfriend. But then there was also information stating that Amanda and Shonda were carrying out a relationship like they were considered girlfriend and girlfriend and at this point Melinda started dating somebody else which I think I think Melinda did start dating somebody else she her and Amanda broke up and Melinda was like really jealous tried making um Amanda jealous and reportedly on a lot of like research I was doing apparently Amanda and Shonda were still having relations, but I don't know how the, true this is. Maybe it was over the phone. Maybe Shonda was just kind of like. I have also read that at this time, Shonda had a boyfriend, so it's kind of hard to say. But anyway, they hear the knock on the door, open the door, and it's two people that Shonda has never met, but they're claiming to be friends with Amanda. So Shonda runs over to the door and is like talking to them and her dad's just kind of like, whatever. It's like these girls, they're friends, I guess, whatever. So they're like, oh, come out. Um, Amanda wanted um, us to come and get you so we can all hang out or whatever. And she's like, all right, well, I can't come out now. I'm with my dad. Why don't you guys come back at midnight and I will sneak out? So the girls go back to the car and together they all like decide to go to this punk rock concert while they wait for the time to pass by. So they go to a punk rock concert. They engage in sex with some guys. So they all go back to Lori's car and some of them have sex with some guys and then they return. And it's probably worth mentioning that both um, Hope and Tony had experienced some abuse on their own. Hope's parents had split up and they moved to Michigan for a little while and there her family dynamic was very turbulent. She had experienced um, rape. She was raped. So she began self-harming herself and it was obviously not a good situation at all. She really confided in Lori and Hope's mom did not want her to be friends with Lori because she saw her as a bad influence. She was a high school dropout. 
But nonetheless, Hope continued being friends with Lori. Then there was Tony, and she had been sexually assaulted at nine years old and then raped by a boy at age 14. So here you go. You can see that these girls that are involved, that are in the car that night with, you know, Melinda, have all been through some serious, serious traumatic experiences, which this is a breeding ground for disaster, okay? This is not good. You have a bunch of broken souls in one car who are very angry and very, very unbalanced and have mental illnesses that they don't even realize. And they're all teenagers with crazy hormones and everything else that comes with being a teenager. So this is just like, uh, it is just a conglomerate of chaos okay nothing good was going to come from this evening so around 12 30 they return back to Shonda's house and Shonda comes out expecting to just talk by the driveway for a little while and they convince her to get in the car at this point she doesn't know that Melinda Loveless is in the car with a knife the other girls are aware because Melinda had boasted to them, like, I have a knife and I'm going to use this to scare the crap out of her. So they were all on board with this. And Melinda's hiding in the back seat, like the back back seat, under a blanket. Okay, so just to set the scene. So Hope was like, okay, yeah, we're going to go see Amanda. Um, She's actually at the witch's castle. And now the witch's castle was this little stone house that was at the top of a hill that a lot of kids went to. It was haunted spooky like one of those places like every town has a place like that so hope's like yeah we're gonna go there and shonda's kind of like i don't know but of course she gets in the car so hope began talking to her about um her relationship with amanda and was like oh my god like what's your relationship with amanda and i guess shonda started divulging a little bit like what their relationship was when psycho crazy Melinda jumps out from under the blanket and definitely scares the shit out of Shonda because, oh my God, it must have dawned on this little girl that they were not going to see Amanda. She had to have felt the tension as soon as Melinda came from under that blanket. Melinda immediately held her knife up to Shonda's throat and began basically to interrogate her and was asking a bunch of questions about her sexual relationship with Amanda. She answers the questions. I'm sure Melinda's pissed about it. Lori then starts talking about the witch's castle and talks about how there's a bunch of dead people, like people who died there. There were witches who were burned there by the townspeople. And this starts to scare Shonda. Like, she's scared. She doesn't want to go to this place anymore. But she is in a very uncontrollable situation and she is in a car that is not stopping. Shonda is hysterical. They pull up to the witch's castle. They make her get out of the car and they walk her up to this stone shell of what looks like was probably a house at one point. Maybe it was burned down. It is creepy. So once they get inside the witch's castle, things start to get intense. They they tie up um, Shonda, you know, tie up her ankles, her wrists. She's bound and... At this point, Melinda's taunting her and she's like, you know, you have such beautiful hair. How would you look if we cut it off? And of course, no girl wants their hair cut off. I mean, unless you like short hair. But, you know, if you have you have this really beautiful head of hair and you like to grow it, I'm sure you don't want this cut off. So Shonda's just begins weeping even more. She's scared. She's terrified. She doesn't know what this girl is going to do to her. And she has a knife. She's like a knife wielding lunatic. Shonda had these pretty rings on that she always wore and Lori starts to take them off and hand them to the other girls and is like, here, let's keep them, you know, like taunting her. We're taking your stuff, like type of thing, like just bullies, absolute bullies. And as she's doing this, like taking Shonda's ring, she starts to talk more about this stupid, creepy castle and how it's filled with human remains and that Shonda's about to be the next set of remains that are left there. So they're just threatening her at this point. She's scared and Lori lights a shirt on fire and is trying to intimidate her and it's working. Lori's like, 
at that point, oh shit, maybe I shouldn't have done this. Like, what if cars can see from the road that there's a fire lit and somebody calls the cops? So maybe we should go. So they all decide to split. They get Shonda back in the truck and they head over to this location that is near Lori's house. And it is a garbage dump, a horrible place. Like, who wants to go to a garbage dump? So while they're in the car again, Shonda's just pleading to go home. She's like, please take me home. Like, please, I'll never speak to Amanda again. I don't ever want to speak to her again. I just want to go home. I just want to go home. They're like mocking her, making fun of her, calling her horrible names, just like ugly, whatever. And then, of course, they have to degrade her. So Melinda's like, take your bra off. And Shonda's like, what? And she's like, take your bra off. So she takes her bra off and then Melinda hands it to Hope, who's now driving the car, and Hope puts the bra on. Like, she takes off her own bra and puts on Shonda's bra. Like, that's fucking weird. That's creepy. So this is what we've got going on now. They pull up to a gas station to get directions because they're lost. They cover Shonda with a blanket, and you've got Tony, who's panicking. She hasn't really done anything. She's been kind of quiet this whole time. And she starts to panic and she's she decides to call this boy that she knows in hopes of calming her fears. So she goes to the payphone, calls him. Does she tell the boy what's going on or about Shonda? Of course not. So while the other idiots are looking for directions, you've got like um, Shonda in the car, Hope is in the car, whatever. Then there's a few other boys and these stupid idiots are talking to the boys and basically it's just um, Tony and Hope talking to the boys like it's weird. So I guess they're just trying to flirt whatever like I don't get how you can be holding a girl hostage in the car. You abducted her. You're degrading her. You know what's going on and this is how you're coming like your worries. You're talking to boys. You're distracting yourself by that like that's bizarre to me. So whatever Tony had the opportunity to tell that boy what was going on or to call 911 and she didn't. So I know she's a teenager, but come on, she she had a chance right there to stop everything that that is about to unfold. So finally, they pull up to this garbage dump and it's dark. It's it's nighttime, like it's a forested area. It's really creepy. And Hope and Tony are like, nope, you know what? We're not getting out of the car. Like, I'm scared. I don't want to do this. And um, Amanda and Lori are like, whatever. They leave the two in the car and they go to carry out their business. And what I'm about to tell you is just absolutely horrifying. And this isn't even the worst part. So buckle in and let's uh, let's let's go there. A very dark place. So at this point, Melinda and Lori force Shonda to strip naked and they begin to beat her. So Lori starts off by beating her with her fists and then Melinda takes over and starts bashing Shonda's face in with her knee. Shonda has braces. So if you have braces and or have ever had braces and you've been hit in the mouth, you know the cuts that that could lead to. So imagine being bashed in the face by somebody's knee with braces. It's a mess. She's gushing blood from her mouth and these girls don't care. It's like they're unleashing every bit of anger they've ever had towards anything and they're using Shonda as a scapegoat they are acting out their rage and anger on her Melinda takes it up 10 million notches and tries to slit Shonda's throat with her knife but it turns out that the blade is too dull Hope sees that they're struggling she runs out of the car and she holds down Shonda I don't understand what possessed this girl to get out of the car. Maybe she thought she was going to be hurt. Maybe she thought she was going to, like, be the next if she didn't join in. But Tony refused to get out of the car. As Hope holds down Shonda, Lori and Melinda began taking turns stabbing her. Stabbing Shonda. They stab her in the bottom of her feet, slash her legs, stab her in the chest multiple times. It's... It's got to be a bloodbath at this point. They then take a rope and they strangle her with it. And Shonda falls unconscious. They thought she was dead. Lori and Melinda put Shonda in the trunk and they confirm to the other girls like, yeah, she's dead. But like I said, she's not. The girls then go to Lori's house where they drink some sodas and they clean themselves up. And they're just laughing about the whole situation and everything that happened. 
They then begin to hear something outside. And it's the screams of Shonda. She's banging her fists on the trunk. She's screaming bloody murder. She wants out of that trunk. She's trapped and she's alive and she is wounded. Lori's like, don't worry about it, girls. I'll go take care of it. She grabs a paring knife from her kitchen and stabs Shonda more. Lori returns inside and she washes off the paring knife like it's nothing in her kitchen sink. Around 2.30 that morning, Melinda and Lori want to go cruising in the car. And Tony and Hope have had enough. They're like, we're not going. Can we just stay here? So they let the girls stay there. They go cruising around the car, uh, in the car, and they're listening to music. When all of a sudden they hear some more noises. They hear crying and gurgling noises coming from the trunk. Lori pulls over. She opens the trunk. And Shonda sat up, covered in blood with her eyes rolled back in her head, and she was not able to speak. So Lori took a tire, a tire iron and began to beat her in the head with it. She beat Shonda with the tire iron until she became quiet. She then told Melinda to smell the tire iron, which she did. It's like the two both had a bloodlust. That wasn't the first time that that tire iron was used that night. When they were in the garbage dump, beating her naked body, they sodomized Shonda with that tire iron. So badly. So badly. After a little while, it looks like the sun's going to start coming up. Lori and Melinda return back to Lori's house and Hope asked about Shonda. Lori just began cackling and started kind of reminiscing about the torture and how they beat her. Well, really, that Lori beat her with the tire iron and that her eyes were rolling in the back of her head and she could barely speak. And it just uh, it just had to be horrifying. Like, how are you laughing about this? Disgusting. Lori was laughing so loud And the girls were just being so loud about everything that her mom actually woke up and yelled at her and was like, why were you out late? Bring these girls home. Get them out of my house. And Lori's like, fine, I'll take them home. So they all got in the car again. Once the girls were in the car, they were like, what are we going to do? We have to get rid of her. Like, she has to go. And Hope was like, oh, I read um, or I heard somewhere that to get rid of a dead body, you have to burn it to ashes. And that's how you get away with murder. So they're like, okay, let's do that. So they stop at a local gas station and they pump some gasoline into the car. They bought a two liter bottle of Pepsi that they started passing around and they were all drinking it and whatever was left, they poured out and they refilled that bottle with gasoline. Hope was like, you know what? I think I also know a place where we can get rid of her. So they drive to Lemon Road, which is right off of US Route 421, and they open the trunk. Tony still refused to take any part in it. She refused to get out of the car, but obviously... She was already along for this ride. She had multiple times that she could have done something. Her and Hope were at Lori's house alone and the parents were sleeping. They could have woke them up. They could have called the police. When Tony was at the gas station the first time on the phone with that boy, she could have called 911, but she didn't. Hope, Lori, and Melinda just stare at Shonda in the trunk. They just look at her. And it just doesn't stop. Like, they, the, the torture just never ends. Hope takes a bottle of Windex and begins to spray it in Shonda's eyes and says, oh, you're not looking so hot now, are you? Shonda was strong. Her strength is just, I, I can't even explain to you. She had gone through all of these horrible injuries and she was still alive, still fighting, still clinging to death and The girls wrapped her in a blanket and they began carrying her into a field. And she just kept saying, mommy, 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 which is just fucking horrible, nightmarish. Like like nobody's nightmares could even be this grotesque and horrible. Lori forced Hope to douse Shonda with gasoline. Hope at first was reluctant to do so. And then she was scared by Lori, she says. She felt peer pressured to do it. I mean, I don't know how peer pressured you could be. You you took it upon yourself to take some Windex and spray it in the poor girl's eyes. So really, 
Anyway, she douses Shonda with the gasoline. Lori then lit the match, and she threw it on top of Shonda's body. The blanket went up in flames. These despicable girls returned to the car as the flames just engulfed Shonda and the blanket. Melinda was like, you know what, we have to go back because the flames are dying down. We got to make sure she's dead. And she doused her with some more gasoline and she lit her ablaze a second time. They left. Shonda lay there in a field all by herself and died a horrific, horrific death. The next morning, Shonda's father woke up and he woke up just like he would any day. And he went to go check on Shonda and realized that she was not in her bedroom, that she never slept in her bed. He begins to panic and, of course, notifies the authorities and his ex-wife that she's missing. That same morning, these stupid, idiotic, disgusting girls are enjoying their morning. They go to McDonald's and it's like 9.30 by the time they get there. They're laughing about everything that happened, laughing about the way Shonda looked after they lit her on fire the first time. And one of them was eating sausages and then began laughing about how this sausage looked like Shonda's burned body. It's just fucking unreal. It's unreal. It's unreal. Like what? It's evil. Evil. Evil is the best word I have for this. These girls... They just evil. They get in the car and Lori brings Hope and Tony home, drops them off. They go back to Melinda's house. Um, they tell Amanda to come over. Amanda comes over and they tell her of the story of what had happened the night prior. Amanda's just in disbelief. She can't believe it. And they're like, okay, come out to the car. We'll show you the trunk. They open the trunk and there's bloody handprints everywhere. It's all over the car. And they have Shonda's belongings. They have her clothes and her rings. Amanda's like, I want to go home. Lori takes her home. And Melinda kisses her goodbye. And they drive away. Amanda never tells anybody. Not until way later, that is. Lori and Melinda also told another friend of what they did and showed her. That friend really didn't believe them. That morning at McDonald's, the girls all promised never to speak of what happened or to tell anyone. And of course, Lori and Melinda had already broke this promise. They already told Amanda. They told another friend. And even though Melinda begged Amanda not to say anything to her family or the police, she would eventually confess. But she was not the first person to confess. Not at all. That same morning, two men were hunting for birds when they came across something that looked like a mannequin. They realized that it was a charred body. They figured it had to be some drug deal gone wrong, but nonetheless, they called 911 immediately, and the police arrived to the scene. Around 8.30 that night, two of the girls cracked. Tony and Hope went to the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office with their parents. They both were rambling uncontrollably, and they were just identifying the victim as Shonda, naming the two other girls involved as best as they could, and they described what happened that previous night, and the sheriff was finally able to match Shonda's body to the missing persons report. The detectives obtained dental records, and that's what ultimately identified Shonda, like 100% identified the body as being hers. Obviously, the autopsy would show just what a disgrace these girls were and what they did to poor Shonda Scherer. The bulk of the evidence came from Tony and Hope's statements, and those were really the only thing that was made public for a long time, for many months. Everything was really kept tight-lipped before they actually came down to sentencing and legal proceedings. Of course, you can only imagine how horrified Shonda's parents were by all of this. Ultimately, it would end up ruining her father, who would drink himself to death. He became an alcoholic after Shonda's death, felt very guilty, blamed himself, and in 2005, he died of alcoholism. 
somehow Shonda's mom was able to maintain strength throughout all of this. Like, I'm telling you, cold, hard strength, okay? She even had the autopsy report explained to her by the coroner, said, no, I want to know what happened to my baby. I want to know every single detail. And boy, it was just a horrible, horrible, horrible autopsy. Like, this coroner was horrified, as you could imagine. And you know what the ultimate cause of death was for this poor girl? It wasn't any of the wounds. She did not succumb to any of them because, like I said, she was a fighter. She's just as strong as her mom, if not stronger. But unfortunately, the girl setting her on fire is what did it. She was burned alive, and she died of smoke inhalation. So she was completely aware of what happened to her in her final moments. She probably felt everything as well. So, of course, the prosecution, um, they immediately declared that their intentions were to try Melinda and Lori as adults. They wanted them to go down, like, hard, of course. And unfortunately, what would end up happening is extremely questionable, okay? I'm definitely not happy about it. I'm not happy with the conclusion at all. Because I'm going to tell you right now, as of right now, 2021, today is what? September 20th. By the time you guys hear this, it's going to be September 21st. All of these girls that were involved walk free. That's right. You heard me. They are all free women right now. They tortured a girl, they murdered a girl, and they ruined a family. Of course, there were mitigating factors when it came to sentencing the girls because all four of them had really horrible backgrounds, like I mentioned with physical or sexual abuse committed by a parent or another adult. And on top of all of this, all the girls except for Melinda had a history of self-harm and cutting. Lori was actually diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. And psychologists actually found that she was suffering from hallucinations. And it's interesting because um, before this whole murder, she actually was claiming that she was possessed by a vampire. So this is interesting. And of course, Melinda, the ringleader of this horrible crime, she had the most extensive history of abuse and mental issues. Um, As I already told you, her father was a fucking scumbag, excuse my language, but he was. He was the epitome of shit. Um, She was really heavily affected by all of this. And again, it is not by any means an excuse, but this was a mitigating factor in her sentence. So, of course, Lori and Melinda were found to have had the most um, influence over Shonda's death, which is true. They both were sentenced to 60 years in the Indiana women's prison. Hope is also free. Her sentence was reduced to 35 years. And then there was Tony, who served the least amount of years. She was sentenced to 20 and only served seven years. But she did have the least amount of involvement, and she did encourage hope to go with her to confess so i guess that's understandable but all the other ones mm, i don't know hope held the girl down whatever like you know what the other two should have served life in prison and i know that's hard to say because they were minors but damn like this was a gruesome gruesome murder but you know what i'm not a lawyer i am not a legal professional and with the mitigating factors and everything that came into play maybe that was the correct sentence but it just really gets under my skin the whole thing does so here's a really interesting tidbit of information you know how i mentioned that um shonda's mom was extremely extremely strong like this is not even a joke so while Melinda was in prison, she got to take care of service animals. Yep, that's what she got to do. She was training service dogs and, you know, getting them ready to be with disabled people and to help them throughout their lives, which I don't like that. You shouldn't be able to play with the dog or anything like that. You don't deserve that. But that's what she was doing. So Shonda's mom, Jacqueline, got word of this and everything. And all she wanted to do was see some type of good come out of this and let me tell you, the, the woman's blood boils when she thinks of any of these women, okay? I don't know. I can't speak for her, but if I were her, I would just feel nothing but hatred. But because of how strong this woman is, she decided that every year she was going to donate a service dog in memory of her daughter. And she was going to make sure that this service dog was trained by Melinda. 
She wanted to see something good come out of something bad. And if Melinda was going to continue to walk this earth, that's what she was going to do. If she was going to get to do this with dogs, it was going to contribute to Shonda's memory in some way. And it did. And to this day, she still contributes. I mean, not not Melinda, but I mean, like, um, her mom, Jacqueline, still contributes to the memory of Shonda. And now that Melinda's out of prison, I don't really know if they're doing the service dog donation anymore. I'm sure they probably are. But there is a scholarship in memory of Shonda. There's two of them. And I think that's really a beautiful thing. The fact that her mom was able to overcome all of this and survive, come out surviving and continue the memory of Shonda and her sister strong enough to come out of all of this, doing the same thing, supporting her mother is just a beautiful thing. And I just feel so sorry for Shonda's father because I can't imagine the immense guilt he felt. It wasn't his fault by any means, but that... that it, you just can't help that guilt. And unfortunately, it it killed him. So it's absolutely horrible. And since, you know, these girls have been released, some of them have been on Dr. Phil. Amanda was on Dr. Phil. Yes, the one that um, was in the love triangle. She seems remorseless. She doesn't really seem to care at the fact that she didn't go to police right away. She talks about how, like, she told the police everything, gave the police everything when they confronted her. But she just seemed more worried about herself and how the media started um, referring to her as a child molester. And so did um, Jacqueline. Some people find this very controversial. I mean, you tell me, like, to me, it, it really did sound like Amanda was grooming the girl. She knew what she was doing. She knew this girl had very little sexual experience. Um, to go as far as to call her a molester, I'm not sure. But I mean, I guess it makes sense because a minor can't really consent. Like, okay, like, she was a 12-year-old girl. She didn't know what she was doing. And I mean, of course, um, Amanda was a minor as well. But come on. She knew she knew what she was doing. She knew it was wrong. And she still did it. And to this day, she keeps throwing Shonda's name under the bus saying, well, Shonda was involved with all these men, older men, and Shonda this, Shonda that. She won't take any degree of responsibility. And I really, truly believe that she should because she got off on um, the attention she was getting from Melinda and um Shonda fighting over her and I know she was a minor I keep saying you know like uh, she was a minor but she played a role in this not that I think she should serve any time or anything like that but she should be able to fess up to her involvement and the fact that she just kept interjecting herself into Shonda's life when Shonda moved away and went to that school if Amanda left her alone, maybe she'd still be alive today, okay? So at least, like, the least she could do is fess up. And she just kept focusing on herself, you know, like, oh, I lost a lot from this too. I lost my basketball scholarship. I got kicked off the basketball team. Like, boo-hoo, this girl was burned to death, okay? And she was horribly tortured by your lover, okay? Like, I don't really give a shit about your basketball. Hate to tell you. Mwah, sucks to suck. Maybe you should have left the girl alone. So that is the conclusion of today's episode. That is the case of Shonda Scherer, and that is the case of some really, really horrible girls. And unfortunately, they did go through some horrible circumstances. I'm not taking that away from them at all. But what they did was downright disgusting. All of them are very apologetic. That's what they say. Of course, I'm sure that's what they want you to think. I don't know. I just think that it was such an evil act. Like, how do you ever recover from that? Like, there's got to be some real depravity in you to be able to carry out an act like that. So I question it to this day. I pray to God that they are rehabilitated because they do walk free. And I'm definitely going to look more into where they are currently because I am very curious, especially with Melinda being released in 2019. Like, what are you doing now? But, um... She did an interview recently and she, well, not too recent. I think it was 2020. Well, actually that is too recent. What am I talking about? Whatever. It's 2020. And she seems to be really like, woe is me about her life and about how, what her father did to her and how she doesn't think she's ever going to heal from that. And, you know, she really has the right to say that she only, only she knows her true experience, but you know what? Like, it's really hard to hear her you know, cry about like her situation when she gets to walk a free woman, enjoy the beach if she wants to, go to freaking Disney World if she wants to. Meanwhile, 
12 year old old Shonda, you know, she died at 12. Her life stopped at 12 years old. She lived for 12 years. Okay. She will never get to do those things. So it, it's really hard for me to care about Melinda Loveless at all. She would have had me had she not murdered a girl. But mm-mm. the torture and murder of a girl, I just, I can't. So guys, that is the end of today's episode. I hope you um, found it interesting. I think there is a lot to be learned here. I think that Jacqueline did as much as she could. You know, she pulled um, Shonda from that school, but obviously it wasn't enough. So I think it's always important for us to keep tabs on our kids. I'm not saying be a helicopter parent, but, you know, just closely, closely pay attention. You see, like, Jacqueline knew something was up. Her daughter was acting strange. Like, don't be afraid to intervene to try to get your child therapy. Like, even if it's a family therapy, you'd be surprised at what comes out in family therapy. Like, if you can't figure out the problem yourself, like, take it to a professional. And, God, just teach your kids not to be bullies. Obviously, these kids were all, like, really abused and everything. And I'm talking to you guys, praying that none of your children are abused. But, um... Teach your kids to be kind to one another, and you just never know what another person is going through. And that's really, that's really all I got for today. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Sorry if some of my talking was like, like, you know, I don't know. I feel like I'm tripping over my words today. Again, this was completely improv. This is not a scripted episode. So I'm sure you'll notice like some of my previous episodes are just a little more organized. So Thank you for tuning in, especially like I said, my um, mind has really been concentrated more so on the Gabby Petito case, but I am happy that I was able to share Shonda's case with you because her story matters and we should never forget her. So I will talk to you guys next week, maybe even before then, depending on the outcome of this whole Gabby Petito case and like what goes on, what information is released. And if you guys want to talk about her case or Shonda's case, please feel free to DM me, message me. I've been getting like a lot of messages from you guys and it's making me so happy. A lot of you are just like giving commentary, like whether it's good, bad, I don't really care. Um, But regardless, it's really cool to see that people actually give a shit about what I say. So thank you guys for tuning in. You know, I take criticism very well, so whatever, it's fine. But if you guys really love what I'm doing, you know, like I always say, if you want to help me for free, go to Apple Podcasts and give me a five-star rating, leave me a review, share with a friend. I know some of you have been doing that and thank you so much. I cannot express how grateful I am for you and your existence. And yeah, I'll see you over on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Love you guys so much. Have a great week. Be safe. And I hope to talk to you guys soon. Bye.